So today we're going to talk about the angel song and how did, did God show up? You know, birth announcements are a big deal today. They're a really big deal. I mean, uh, we have so many ways to announce the arrival of a baby into this world. I mean, with the internet and cell phones, it's instantaneous. You, you know, people have got their cameras out, taking pictures, why they're, they're, they're being born almost, right? And... Uh, and they can uh, send emails, they can text messages, they can post it on pin, they can do Pinterest, Shutterfly, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, oh sorry, X, uh, as it's known now. Uh, just to name a few, just to name a few, you could take hundreds of pictures, we can magnify them, filter them, because that's the new thing, you've got to filter them, so you've got to make your baby look even cuter than it already looks, you've got to put a filter on them, and then... Uh, and then crop them and send them around the world. Seconds. Seconds. It becomes a competition, I think. You know, here's, here's our new arrival in, in her crib. Here, here, she is, here he is in, in his first diaper. Oh, here's his little footprints. I just made them. Here's his footprints. You know... But if you know someone who's having a baby in the next year, here's how they outdo everybody else. To tell them to forget emails, to forget photographs and social media. If you want to win a baby announcement competition, have an angel announce the arrival. I mean, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. See, have an angel coming down the street in the middle of the night, waking up your neighbors to tell them what's just happened. And then followed by a backup singers of angels that have the most amazing voice to announce that your baby has just been born. That's how you win a baby announcement competition. Sadly, though, I don't think angels, the angel's agent is booking any events uh, as, as of now. You know, but that is exactly, that is exactly how the arrival of baby Jesus was announced on the night he was born. Luke 2, 8 through 14 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on, peace, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what's in a name? 
that you see, the angel came to this, these blue-collar workers, these shepherds, whose job it was to raise and look after sheep. You know, these shepherds would not be allowed into the temple. They were the roughest of the roughest people. They were, they were like you and me. They wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogues. These people worked in the field. They would have been considered outcasts. Yet, which is ironic to me, because their job was to raise sheep, which produced lambs that were sold or took for sacrifices. So, so, so that's where they show up. See, they get told who it was who had been uh, growing in Mary's wound by this angel and who was now wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. See, this angel describes the baby's job in that text. It said Savior or Redeemer. The, only, the one and only lamb that could fully pay the price of sin. You know them lambs that you're raising? They're nothing. They're never going to cover your sin. They're never going to wash you clean. That's why you have to keep sacrificing and keep sacrificing and keep sacrificing. But here, I'm telling you that the Redeemer has been born in Bethlehem tonight. This angel announced the baby's title as the Christ, or in the new, the, the, the new international version says Messiah, which they're, they're the same word. Okay? So God's promised king for his people. You know, they've been waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for salvation. But they think this guy is going to come that's going to be a warrior. But this is a baby born. In a stable. And he revealed the baby's identity, didn't they? As the Lord. It is, it is making a staggering claim. Because it is the word that was used by Greek-speaking Jews to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. See, the personal name of God by which he had been introduced himself to his people for centuries. You see, God, by the way, is not God's name. No more than pastor is my name. I actually, I had people will, that, that I introduced, like even I work for hospice uh, part-time, and the, 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 my coordinator's name's Ida, and I will call her. And she goes, how can I help you today, Pastor? I'm like, I, and do you know how many times I've said my name's Ed? Okay. You, it, my name is Ed, and by the way, my friends and a lot of my enemies call me Ed or Edwin. And God's name is Yahweh, and guess what? It's what he told his friends and his people to call him. In other words, this is the deal. Good news 
Great joy for all people has come because a redeemer, the ultimate ruler, has been born. And he is God Almighty. See, the angel is telling us that the God who made you and me, who gave you your DNA, who woke you up this morning, who has sustained your life, that God, that God, in the person of Jesus, stepped down into time, making himself accessible to you. That same God exists today. On that first Christmas night, and this is the heart of the Christmas story. And the heart of the Christmas faith, God took on flesh. That's what incarnate means. He took on flesh. That's why we call it chili con carne. Because con carne means in flesh. Or with flesh. You know, he put on flesh suit. He put on, he put on a suit of flesh, basically. He was God before that. See, the voice that spoke the cosmos into existence. That God could be heard crying in the cradle. The hand that placed the stars in place grabbed hold of Mary's finger. The baby boy who was fully human and fully man, in, his, in him divinity and humanity was born. So unlike every other conception and birth, this was not the beginning. See, God the Son had always existed, equal and eternal with the Father and the Spirit. One God in three persons, the Trinity. See, Jody brought this up today and she didn't even know it was in my sermon. God the Son, the Word, predates His birth. He is older than his conception or what is often called his incarnation. John's description of Jesus in John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See, unlike Jesus... If you ask the question, where was I before I was born? You know, have you ever had that uncomfortable, if you've got kids? Where did I come from? What was I before I was born? Well, you did not exist before you was conceived and born. We leave out the other nitty-gritty details. But this is not what happened with Jesus. He did exist before. He was conceived and Born, he was conceived and born. He was already existed. What happened that night was the birth of God the Son as a human being. But this was not the beginning of the person, God the Son. This is unparalleled. It is unique. It is mysterious. And Luke is claiming that it is historical. 
Luke's claim here is that it's historical. You see, Luke, we found out, investigated all of this information. And, and, and he was close to the people. There was people living that were still living that had, that had been around when Jesus was born. That he could have interviewed. So this is, this is history. But we say, really, a virgin birth? You know, this is where a lot of people struggle with the Christian faith. This is where a lot of people struggle with the Christian faith. They are prepared to accept Jesus as a great teacher, a religious leader, or a brilliant philosopher. There's other religions that have Jesus in the the Quran. Talks about Jesus. Just so you know. And they, they have a good respect for Jesus, but they don't because they think he wasn't God. So you're not respecting him if you just think he was a good teacher or a good prophet. He was fully God. See, they are prepared to accept him as a great teacher, but not as God. They are prepared to accept that he spoke for God even. These religions say that he spoke for God. But they won't say he is God. But they struggle to accept that he is God. That as Mary and Joseph peered into that manger, they were looking at the eternal Son of God. See, some people struggle with this idea of a virgin birth and this miraculous incarnation. They go, I'm not going to believe that. Mary was just telling some lie because she cheated on Joseph. She got pregnant and, and Jesus. The outcome of that. And if that's your starting point, and, and your starting point is there is no God, then the question of incarnation is irrelevant, isn't it? If there's no God, it doesn't matter about how Jesus was conceived, because Jesus isn't God. Because if there is no God, they, then he couldn't have been born as a baby in Bethlehem. But if our starting point is that there is or even there might be a God who created the entire universe, then surely he is capable of entering his own universe. If we believe that the God who wrote the Bible, if we believe that, we should never doubt the virgin birth. See, if the room, if, if, if the human race has worked out how to bring about conception without sexual intercourse. I'm sure God could figure it out. See, it seems... Could you imagine telling somebody a couple of hundred years ago, hey, by the way, you will be able to have a baby without having sex. Would they have looked at you a bit crazy? You see, God, the Son, taking flesh is a mystery that we will never understand. I don't even know why he did it. I know why he did it. 
I don't know why he did it. Because I look at it and go, I would have just blew everybody up, started all over again. I'm God. I would have just, it would be like when I build my Lego sets wrong. I can smash them up and build them again till I get it right. But God didn't do that. God knew what he was doing before he created the human race. But not being able to understand how God became one of us is not proof that he did not become one of us. See, atheists want to say, how can you believe such a ridiculous claim? But let me say this. How much harder is it to believe of a virgin birth of Jesus Christ than to believe in the virgin birth of the universe? That's what they believe. They believe the universe was created out of nothing. There was nothing. That's virgin, isn't it? There was nothing and suddenly, boom, there was the the universe. They want me to believe that. But they don't want me to believe that my God, who I believe created the universe, could get some a virgin and make her with child. Saying it is like, mine, to me, and it might be because I already believe it, but to me, mine makes more sense than somebody who believes that something was created out of nothing. And the fact is, they keep saying, hey, they're trying to prove that you can create something out of nothing. The problem with that is they have something to create it with. They would have to have nothing. And if you have nothing, you have nothing. You can't take a machine and make something because then you will be using a machine to create something. You have to have nothing to create nothing. So you have to just look and bam, something's going to be created or you're not creating something out of nothing. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. See, we we also have to remember though that God's ways are mysterious. He would not be much of a God if, he, if our limited minds could reason out everything that he does. If I could figure it out, that, other people go, I can't, I, I can't become a Christian because I can't understand all the Bible. I can't understand why he did that. Well, if I could figure out why he did the things he would, I would be God. You don't want me as your God. I'm telling you. And you don't want you as your God. Because if you could understand everything that God did and why he did it, guess what? You would be God. That wouldn't be good. Not at all. He is mysterious because it is divinity. It is God. But it's also history. Heaven is breaking into the earth. See, the shepherds would find the creator of the universe wrapped in strips of cloth. God is giving us the answer to the human predicament, the solution to our slavery to sin and our separation from God. See, God bridged a gap by coming from heaven to earth because it wasn't going to happen the other way around. 
They tried that when they tried building a tower to Babel. To get to, to, to God. It didn't work. Because we can't go to God. God had to come to us. This is how much the mighty God cares about you. This is how much he loves you. That he would come here to, to, to live a life that you couldn't live. To be ridiculed. See, love was when God spanned the gulf. Love was when God became a man. Love was when God surprised those he had created by being born as one of them as a baby. He put on flesh for you. He became a baby for you. He became helpless for you. But he is a God, the God of surprises. He is the God of surprises. You see, the virgin birth wasn't the only surprise that, that, that night. The place where God's son was born is also a surprise. And the people to whom God sent the angel is the third surprise. See, God is just full of surprises. And they show us something of what God is like, you see. First, look at where God, God child is, is at this moment. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, it wasn't unusual to have a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And actually, they were bandages, more like strips of fabric. It was unusual to lay a baby in a food trough. That wasn't happening very often. You know, in human terms, the reason why Mary had her child in a shack, or more likely a cave, by the way, used for sheltering animals, was straightforward. See, in distant Rome, the Emperor Caesar Augustus had ordered that a census be taken, obliging Mary and Joseph to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there was no room for them to stay anywhere else. See, the name Augustus meant worthy of adoration. So according to an inscription on a stone carved in around 9 B.C., and found it in a marketplace in what is now Turkey, Augustus' birth gave the whole world a new aspect. He was regarded as a, get this, savior. He encouraged the worship of his adopted father, Julius Caesar, as a god, and allowed himself to be styled as the son of God. So great with it was his power. And his impact that the inscription continued that from his birth a new racking of time must be begin. Must begin. See, and, and so the shepherds must surely have been struck by how vastly different this child in the manger was from the power and majesty of the Roman emperor from the Caesar Augustus figure. From the person who established the, the, the glory of his name and the might of his empire at the 
the head of his enemies, his armies, and who could move his subject people around at a stroke of a pen. This is the first thing he did. Hey, we're going to do this. Boom. Move. And yet here, in this food trough, lay the one who really is worthy of adoration. Whose birth changes everything for you and me. Who came as a savior and who is really the son of God. And whose birth date is the way we still reckon our time 2,000 years later. Unless you're progressive. He was not born to a queen in a palace. I mean, why not? He was born to a girl in a cave and his cradle was a food trough. The Son of God came to be just like you and me. He came to be among us, to live with us, rather than to lord it over us. I mean, it said he was Lord, but he didn't come to lord over us, did he? He came to be with us, to connect with us, because he is a God of relations. He wants a relationship with you. See, if you have known poverty, he has. If you have known what it feels like to be an outsider, he has. If, you, if you've known loss, he has. If you've known hunger, he has. If you had known not having a roof over your head, he has. If you've known people that love you, turn your back on you, he has. You've got to remember, when he went to the cross, everybody left him. Everybody ran. He did not have this protected existence. He knows what life is like. He's relatable. As Jesus himself put it, when he had grown up, he said this in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second surprise is where the announcement was made. God did not make his announcement to Augustus. It came to a group of poor shepherds. He didn't make it to the priests. He went to poor shepherds in a field. See, we might expect sometimes that God would be more, most interested in those who had status, wealth, power, and those who are mighty. But in actual fact, throughout Luke's gospel, we discover that, that again and again, he doesn't. He goes for the least and the last and the left outs. See, he works in a way that we might not anticipate him working. And we have to allow him to surprise us. 
We have to allow to be different. We are different than God. You see? And he works differently than us. See, the God that came, the real God, that we're not. But the problem is, people sometimes find it perfectly easy to tolerate Jesus and you talking about Jesus. Until he tells us how we should live. Or what sin? Then it's not okay anymore. That goes for us too. When, when God tells us something we shouldn't be doing, we put him on the back burner. We throw him off the throne of our hearts and we put ourselves there. Because I know better. Because I want to exist for me. What can make me happier? See, people will tolerate Jesus, but they won't tolerate the real Jesus. Jesus was hated by a lot of people because of what he said. You have to remember that. Especially today, especially in the world we live in today. There is so many big Christian, and I'm going to quote, Christian organizations, big churches that are telling lies. That are saying the Bible doesn't have to say, we can't say because the Bible said or, or uh, the Bible isn't ultimate authority anymore. There's big, powerful teachers out there saying this because we don't want to tolerate. We can tolerate Jesus as long as he doesn't tell us how to live. But Jesus came to live a life for you and me so we could live for him. So we could follow him. So we could pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Not to live how we please. Not to do whatever makes us happy. I said it last week. God doesn't care if you're happy. He wants you to have joy, but he doesn't care if you're happy or not. But Jesus brought the peace of God. See, the angel brought the message. But then... The group of angels, the backup singers, they brought the message of peace of God. See, this is because anybody who says, hey, if I see, that's why I think there's some, like, uh, if I stand, if I meet, when I meet God, will I stand or will I kneel or will I whatever? I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to fall on your face. If you see an angel and you fall on your face, you're definitely going to fall on your face when you see the creator of the universe, in my opinion. My opinion only. My opinion is, is I don't need to ask what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. I'm going to fall flat on my face because I'm going to be in the presence of, the, presence of God. Okay? These, these uh, shepherds 
was scared that angel told him not to be, not, it's funny how anytime God shows up, he says, do not be afraid. Yet we wonder how we're going to act when we're going to be in his real presence. Uh, I don't think we've got any more spirituality than the people that he showed up at in the Bible. So I don't, I think we're going to be in, in fear. Uh, so, but anyway, so the angels, the angel backup singers come. And they're telling him, the Redeemer has come and the angels of heaven are there to announce it to them. To them. And the choir declares that this baby will achieve on earth peace. On earth peace. See, Augustus had established what we know as Paxo, Pax Romano, which is an empire, an empire at peace. And guaranteeing safely. Unless you happen to be a slave or a rebel. Then there's no peace Romuxo. Right? But the peace of Rome was about to be dwarfed by the peace of God. Epictatus, if I said it's wrong, I'm sorry. Said a first century philosopher, he was a first century century philosopher observed rightly that while the emperor may give peace from war on the land and sea he is unable to give peace from passion grief and envy he cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than even outward peace see Caesar Augustus could not transform any of his subjects hearts or change any of their eternal futures He could give us this fake peace that if you followed his rules, which is control, then you had peace. But don't live like this and you won't have peace. But these angels say that this baby could. Here is, is an announcement of a peace that goes deep within and lasts beyond the grave, the peace. I think that we all yearn for an inner peace. The peace of God that invades a life is based on the discovery of peace with God. That means everything can be blowing up around you. And, And you will have peace. If your peace comes from God. See, we may try to find peace without God in our own way. Peace through owning stuff. Peace at the bottom of a bottle. Lots of people try that. Or Or the end of a needle. Or the end of a pipe. They try that. And try to make them have peace. But it doesn't bring peace. We may try to find peace with God in our own strength. Peace through obeying religious rules or through being good people. Which the Bible says there's no such thing as good people. So it would be hard to be a good person. Because according to scripture, everything that we do, 
that's good. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. You can't even take credit for it. Because, by the way, as soon as you take credit for it, you're not doing good anymore. That's what the Bible says. See, we could try to look for peace other ways. But the truth is that the only God can give us peace with himself. The angel tells us where his offer of peace was made. This is a peace that isn't found in something. It's a peace that is found in someone. And it is a peace that pursues us. That's beautiful. That is beautiful that, that, that it pursues you. That term is usually used in a love relationship. I'm going to pursue my wife. You know, you're gonna, he pursues us. He seeks us. He comes knocking on the door of our lives. But we've got to open the door. We've got to let him in. If you want true peace, you've got to open the door and let him into you. It's amazing. It's amazing how many Christians suffer from depression and suffer from mental illness and all these things. And I'm not saying there's not other, other reasons we can have mental illness and, and depression. But a lot of it is because we really don't trust God, we really don't trust what we've put up, we say we've put our faith in. Because if we trust the promises, we would find joy, not happiness, but we would have joy. See, it's a peace that it's so many miss out on because we fail to make room for the one who brings it. We're no different than, than the day he was born when there was no room at the inn. We make no room. Remember why Jesus was lying in that manger? Why was God of heaven in the feeding trough? Because there was no room anywhere else. I mean, I think it was completely God's plan to be born in a, in a, in a, a stable and to be born in, and put in a, a food truck. I don't think this took God by surprise. It takes us by surprise because we go, why? You're God. He made the entire universe. He couldn't have made one extra room at the inn. But there wasn't a place for him. And let's be honest, in our lives of many of us, we're not much different. We have no room for him. Or, not if it makes, we definitely don't, if it makes life in any way uncomfortable for us, we make no room for him. See, every time we want to do something that doesn't line up with what I believe, I kick him out. I put him in the cave. I put him in the stable. You do exactly the same. See, if his presence brings any inconvenience to us, 
We don't want him. But our response does not change the truth. See, God has visited this world. He has come as one of us to bring peace to us by redeeming us from our sins. See, will you say to him today, I have no room. Tomorrow, I have no room. God, I just want to, I, I want to do this today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have no room for you in my life today. Because I want to follow my dreams. I want to go to my places. I want to do what I want to do. So I have no room for you. We're all guilty of this. And I'm not saying, here's, here's what I, I will say. We're all saved by grace. But just because you're saved by grace, do we have to wear it out? Do we have to wear it out? Sometimes I feel like that's what we do. I think we sometimes wear, we're trying to wear out the grace of God. Well, I know he's going to forgive me. I mean, really? Have, have you never thought that? Before you've done something stupid? Oh, I know he's going to forgive me. I mean, I think we've all done it at some point in our life. Ah, it's just this once, God. I promise, until the next time, it's just this once. Because I have no room for you. We're not much different than the whole of Bethlehem. We have no room for a God who tells us how to live, shows us how to live. And by the way, I'm not saying any of this is going to keep you out of heaven. But if you want the fullness of God in your life, if you want the fullness of God in your life, living for him is the only way. The fullness of what God has for you, it's the only way to live. Is by doing what he would do. Not what I want to do. This week, I want you to read uh, Luke 2, 27 through 32 to get ready for the fourth Sunday, the last Sunday. It's going to be Christmas Eve. So all the Christas will be here. So it's going to be a really good one, especially if you invite somebody to this one. It's going to be really good because, again, I want to... Give people the gospel. And uh, actually, Simeon's song gives me a, a, a great opportunity, great opportunity to bring the gospel on Christmas Eve. So if you know somebody that you want to invite to church, this would be a good time to invite them to church. Uh, so read Luke 2, 27 through 32. And then uh, next, next uh, Sunday, Christmas Eve, we're going to be uh, having church. We've got some special songs being done. So it's going to be a good service. So it'd be nice. John's going to do a song at the end. Uh, Denise and Andrew are going to do a song. Now they have to do it. They were going to practice first, but I'm putting them under the bus. So uh, 
So we're going to have some special songs. We might have five songs on Christmas, uh, but uh, it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. And uh, just plan on being here. Plan on bringing somebody. If you know somebody that needs Jesus, uh, plan on inviting them at least. Uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you are an amazing God that did come to a stable. You did come to where nobody would expect you to come. You came to people that nobody would have expected you to come. Help us to make room for you in our lives. Not just when we want you in our lives. Not just when we want your help. But even when your help makes us uncomfortable. Even when your help makes us choose things that we wouldn't want to choose. God, help us to be the people that you called us to be. Help us light us up as only you can. Not just for us, but for the world out there so they can see what it is to truly follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.